Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast, the final podcast of 2021. Today is Friday, December 31st, New Year's Eve. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, making my last pitch, my last snore of the year. Please go to www.commentary.org donate and make us part of your end of your giving. You have just hours left to do so to get that tax deduction. We need it. I've been yammering you about it for a month. You know you want to do it. You know you got to do it. You know you should do it. You know you have to do it. I promise you we will make good use of the money. We're so, we have such a small staff. We don't go out. I don't have an expense account. We don't travel for work. There's eight of us. All we do is put out the magazine, put out the website, and put out this podcast. That's what we do. And then we also answer customer service questions, and we do whatever we can to make sure that you're reading and listening experience is seamless and we need you to help us close our deficit so this is the time this is now new year's eve 2021 www.commentary.org slash donate this ends pledge month with me as always executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john senior writer christine rosen hi christine hi john and associate editor noah rothman hi john So this week, we have talked about movies that we wanted to recommend, books we wanted to recommend, TV we wanted to recommend. Uh, Now I can't remember what the fourth was. Holiday, holiday stuff. Holiday, holiday stuff we wanted to recommend. Today, we want to talk about culture in a slightly more political context, vis-a-vis the culture war. You know how... Liberals like to say that there isn't a culture war and the conservatives are the only ones who say that there is a culture war. And of course, this is the ultimate act of gaslighting because the culture war is being fought by the left against the right and against uh, sort of American norms and and, uh, bourgeois norms and Western norms. And that is the major uh, energy juice and enthusiasm on on the left, uh, aside from uh, income redistribution, let's say, is uh, is establishing that America was born in sin, is not a great country, establishing that, you know, uh, the forces of order uh, in the United States, largely the police and our justice system are rigged and corrupt and unjust to so many people, uh, that uh, that uh, the, the, the nuclear family is either bad for you or needs to be completely comprehensively uh, overhauled to create new realities and new rules and new provisions that, and even and mostly that um, the very fundament of life, the uh, you know the differences between male and female, between double X and XY chromosomes, are to be ignored or overwritten by fancy new fashionable surgeries and the adaptation of new vocabulary that denies the existence of that which has existed before anything else existed. Uh, That's the culture war. And uh, we were very depressed at the end of last year about the prospects of the culture war and our role as combatants. And Abe had written his great piece, Yes, This is a Revolution, which is really about the culture war uh, and how it sort of literally took to the streets in the form of the George Floyd protests and others to uh, the 69, 19 project, other things. We were pessimistic. And then 
this year has been a very surprising one in many ways, despite the fact that Democrats are in charge of the House, Senate, and the presidency and are fighting to advance their agenda and all of that. The blowback, uh, very surprising uh, uh, restorative action uh, all over the country in various ways and various forms that I think uh, gives us new hope and new heart and new confidence and new faith uh, that there is still life in this old dog yet and that we can, and that we can, uh, uh, we can really uh, stage uh, a counter-revolution, let's say. Um, so let's start uh, going hard on culture with Abe and his choice for the surprising culture war development of, of, of 2021 that gives us heart. My favorite culture war moment of 2021 was occurred in September over Dave Chappelle's Netflix special, The Closer. Uh, this was a special I didn't even particularly like. I, I love Chappelle. I think he's a great talent. This one really kind of barely did it for me. Nevertheless, Chappelle, who has long been in the crosshairs of trans activists because he's made all sorts of jokes over the years, some of them mild, some of them more biting. I think in this particular special, he said that... Uh, 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 sex is a simple fact of life. By, gender is a fact of life that we have to uh, agree upon. We all we all pass through uh, a, a mother's legs on our way here, a woman's legs on our way here, something to that effect. So, of course, uh, the the trans activists came out in full force this time. Big assist from from the liberal and leftist press um, at net, at Netflix itself. Uh, there was a walkout stage. There were protests. Um, Chappelle, of course, himself, never backed down, never apologized. Um, I, that, would I, that I would expect, and, and that happened. But what I love about this moment is that while we have seen all sorts of isolated cases um, of individual Americans pushing back on um, this cancel culture and uh, um, the, the, the kind of revolutionary um, group think that 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 John was talking about. We have seen far too few institutional responses to it that uh, we would applaud. And in this case, Netflix did the right thing, responded the right way. Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos did not back down, did not apologize for the Netflix special, certainly did not take it off the air. Uh, and in fact, fired some of the people involved, at least one person involved in the walkout uh, because they had also uh, were suspected of leaking um, some internal in information uh, about let about Netflix. Um, yeah, he he at some point he Sarando said something like, well, I could have communicated better on the issue. Big deal. That's fine. I don't consider that a cave. He's allowed to continue doing PR. It's part of his job uh, in, in the big picture. Uh, Netflix did the right thing. And this is a model for how other corporations can go forward and endure this thing. No one's getting rid of Netflix. Everyone loves Netflix. Uh, you, can, you can weather the storm and you'll be fine. And Netflix is fine and they weathered the storm and we're all better for it. And we're going to see more cases like this of, of corporations weathering the storm. Okay, let's talk about corporations that aren't weathering the storm as well in ways that I think are going to be self-destructive and, and, and counterproductive uh, because they... 
because it believes that it is uh, it needs to hide from controversy. So uh, Warner Brothers um, is the producer both of the Fantastic Beasts and How to Find Them film franchise uh, adapted from J.K. Rowling's uh, short books uh, and um, and a new special, I think debuts on New Year's Day, uh, Return to Hogwarts, uh, 20 years of Harry Potter movies, the 20th anniversary of the release of the first Harry Potter movie. Um, according to The Independent, uh, the uh, trailer for Fantastic Beasts, which I watched, the third Fantastic... These are not very good movies, by the way. This is the third Fantastic Beasts movie. They look beautiful, but they're really not that good. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore already features a cancellation, by the way, which is that Johnny Depp was uh, playing the villain, uh, Grindelwald, and they uh, they fired Johnny Depp because of uh, his uh, lawsuits uh relating to his uh relationship with amber heard so he's out and somebody else is playing the villain um but apparently her name jk rowling's name appears only in minuscule lettering in the closing shot now she is actually the producer of this movie she wrote this the, the, these movies are her projects um she kind of took them over uh, unlike the harry potter movies um she is the star of this franchise right uh no one's going to see it for eddie redmayne playing newt gishmakovaz or whoever it is that is now playing grindelwald or jude law playing the young dumbledore nobody cares about them jk rowling is the most famous writer in the world she is the most successful writer of our time she has sold more books than anyone and they have decided to downpedal her contribution out of fear of cancellation by trans activists. That seems to me to be hilariously self-destructive, uh, almost insanely self-destructive, and, and will, you know, they will reap the whirlwind as a result of it. She is what sells the Fantastic Beasts franchise. And she is not appearing in the Harry Potter Return to Hogwarts special. Fine. So Daniel Radcliffe is in it and Emma Watson is in it and whoever the redheaded kid is in it. And they'll be wandering around the sets and talking about how much they loved it and all this and blah, blah, blah. She's a bigger star than they are. She's they the most also famous caves. writer on the planet. It's the, the way, same company. Those actors are should also be the object of our scorn because they they caved and refused to to either. I mean, it, it was in part from the pressure they brought to bear. Like we're not going to appear with her because she's a transphobe. They are they are complicit in this effort to try to cancel this person who made their careers. Rupert Grint is the redhead, by the way. Thank you. Yes, made their careers. Um, remember that. Two years ago, uh, Rowling returned um, an award from, uh, what is the name of that Kennedy family? The uh, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Institute uh, gave her an award. And then uh, Carrie Kennedy, one of, you know, one of the uh, 27 children of the late Robert F. Kennedy, uh, criticized her for being transphobic. And she said, the hell with you. And she returned the award and said, I am not transphobic, right? She said, I am, you know, uh, 
I've supported LBGTQ rights. I'm a supporter of trans people's right to live free of persecution. But she says she does not believe in erasing the concept of biological sex and refuses to bow down to a movement seeking to erode woman as a political and biological class. Christine Rosen, the current commentary, features a lead article by you on this very topic, the new misogyny. Yes, she's getting canceled. Uh, and by the way, she's sustained years of harassment up to this point. And the fact that she's maintained her uh, equilibrium on this and hasn't become radicalized, she actually isn't radical about this at all. She was originally attacked for defending a a, a sort of non-public figure who, who had gotten canceled and I think lost her job because she said biological sex is real. She is literally stating a biological Talk about the science. She's stating a scientific fact. And that alone, because of the very radical nature of the of trans activists right now, uh, is is not allowed. And the the thing I think we'll see in the next year, I hope, and I think we started to see it with the response, as Abe said, to the Netflix attempt at cancellation, is that the people who are now cowering in fear and saying nothing when these debacles happen are no, they can't be on the sidelines like that anymore. They're afraid to speak up and say, yeah, I agree with that. But there are more and more activists on even on the left. Um, a lot of lesbian activists in the UK have done extraordinary work um, defending this idea that you cannot erase women. Stop trying to erase women. Stop telling women who are attracted to other women that they are transphobic if they are attracted to the physiology of another woman. Like the the efforts as opposed to a male as opposed, as opposed to a to male a man, whose body has been reconfigured right. surgically. To right. resemble or not, a even a man, or a not. man right. with with male genitalia, living as a woman, trans activists tell lesbians that they are transphobic if they are not sexually attracted to someone with male genitalia. They call it, you know, they they claim to that you're fetishizing genitalia. I mean, it's ridiculous when you the more you read into it, the more you realize like they are trying to create a universe that's even more surreal than the Harry Potter world. Like the kind of magical thinking they're engaging in is not shared by the vast majority of the human race. However, my question going forward is who besides Rowling is going to stand up to them? And there are more and more people doing that. Um, and we will we'll see what happens. But she she's to be praised. I mean, they even trans activists showed up at her house and tried to dox her, putting her address online so that people would come and harass her in her home. I mean, this terrible, terrible stuff. And she's been she's just been absolutely stoical and consistent and, and should be uh, praised for her response right she is a person of the left by the way she says she's a socialist she was like a she voted for scottish independent like she is not a you know she she's no she's, she's not, not a right wing she's not one of us right? right and 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 of course the whole point is of course she can do this she's the most you know she's a billionaire she's the most famous person in the world she can do it but you'll notice that people like that are just as scared of getting a bad rap and having people yell at them on twitter as anybody else and as i say i think Warner Brothers has shown astonishing short-sightedness in its conviction that re her relationship as author to both to Harry Potter and to particularly to Fantastic Beasts is too dangerous for them to promote. Uh, this is the company that, you know, decided to kind of wreck uh, their uh, their business model by putting, you know, movies in the theater on the same day that they put them on HBO Max at a desperate effort by its idiot head, Jason Kylar to, Kylar, to save his, the job that he lost uh, when, when Warner was finally taken over by Discovery Media. Good work, Jason. Enjoy your unemployment, you, you, you know, 
short-sighted, delusional moron desperately trying to get $2 up on your stock price. And whoever is responsible for this promotion, again, like cut off your nose to spite your face. Why don't you? Congratulations on your human rights award. I hope you really enjoy it. Noah, moving on to you, uh, your winner of the boomerang culture war fight of 2021. Yes, I chose Latinx or Latin Latinx. doesn't matter. You're not going to have to know it very, very much longer. Um, this uh, had been creeping into the discourse and the zeitgeist is around 2018, early 2019, became ubiquitous, exploded over 2020. Um, and we got some trickles of information anecdotally that the people this word was supposed to describe didn't care for it all that much. Um, and over the course of 2021, we got a lot of polling data to suggest that not only did they not care for it too much, but it was actively resented by Hispanics. Um, and uh, late this year, probably with the uh, November off-year elections that demonstrated a profound amount of discomfort with democratic governance, uh, elites have resolved to, to stop saying the word. Maybe not banish it entirely, but just get rid of it because it had become a metaphor for the kind of uh, identitarian uh, ideology that had overtaken the left and particularly um, uh, affluent, educated, white suburbanite progressives uh, who uh, would demonstrate their virtue by using words to describe people that they don't themselves use to describe it. And you begin to see some of the culture beginning to respond to this. I say this advisedly because I haven't done the, the legwork on it, but when I was doing a piece writing about how Latinx had become culturally ubiquitous as a result of left-wing cultural dominance in the absence of a consensus about its value, um, when I started looking into this to try to find examples of it, and they were everywhere, but I couldn't find it on uh, HBO. And I know for a fact that HBO once had a category of Latinx films because that's where my Puerto Rican wife first encountered it and had a hilarious reaction to this, this term that she had never encountered before. She developed a spontaneous headache and threw something across the room, got very mad about it, which is, I think, <laughs> indicative of sort of a general response to this among Hispanic people. Um, and I, you can't find it anywhere. It's gone. It's been memory hold. So that's, in my view, where 2022 is going to go. This, this, phrase that was once supposed to be so inclusive and everybody's going to love it and it shows up in lifestyle magazines and the streaming services it will just quietly fade away well you know why they started it they started it out of radical gender egalitarianism the idea was well you have to say latino and latina so we'll say latinx the way some people are now spelling woman w-o-m w-x M Y N, right? I mean, there's that weird crazy people, lunatics. Yeah, yes. right. They, okay. There was a, it was but, it was a <laughs> war on romance languages, right? But but I think there's an interesting power dynamic here, and it's happened over the course of the last hundred years, uh, or let's say let's say fairly uh, not not over the last hundred years, but over the last fifty or sixty years in the you know in the African American community. The term African American, of course, was not in use. It did not exist until 1984. Jesse Jackson introduced the term African-American into the discourse. And I think he did so 
because people use the word black. People are using the word black, which succeeded Negro, right? Negro was sort of like the respectable term to call a black person. And then, then it moved on to uh, Negro and then became black. And then there was the um, there was a, a, a wholesale shift in the dynamic because Jesse Jackson wanted to say, I am the leader of this people and I'm going to rename them African-American, which itself is interesting because of course there are a great many people who are not of African descent uh, in that category, like come from, you know, Cuba or Trinidad. I mean, maybe ultimately, ultimately, or some, you know, backward iteration they were, they were, they were, but, um, uh, and now you, said, you saw this again after Black Lives Matter, which was the insistence that we no longer say African-American, but we say black, but we say black with a capital letter. And the whole point here is to see whether the culture will kowtow, whether the culture will cave and do as you do as you bid. Uh, because if you can get the entire sort of po polite society to follow the new rule, you will show that you have cult you will have a kind of dominant force over them and it's a test and latinx was an effort in this regard um the difference is that i think black people didn't don't mind being called black and don't mind the capital letter um and didn't really mind african a lot of them did mind african-american actually but so whatever um and for some reason this is just it's like it's like um pouring acid in the ears of people who come from spanish speaking you know whose origins are in spanish speaking countries it's very interesting um christine moving off uh mere culture into into politics uh you wanted to talk about your favorite whiplash of 2021 yes the uh the Parents revolt. Uh, I wrote a piece about this. Our, our long suffering listeners have listened to me just absolutely engage in many self-indulgent tirades against the teachers unions. But the moment for me was there were two moments that, that really heart, were heartening to me. One was last summer when I was driving around Loudoun County and I saw a hand painted in sign Virginia. Yeah. in Virginia. This is before the gubernatorial election. So a hand painted sign in red big, huge capital letters planted on the front lawn of a, of a nice, you know, upper middle class house in Lowndes County. And it said, no CRT in our schools. And I thought, huh, wow. I mean, it was a big sign and it was hand painted. Like there, there has been some effort taken by people in this household to say, we don't want critical race theory taught in our schools. And then uh, after the gubernatorial election, which shocked a lot of my uh, purple state friends uh, who lived in Virginia and were convinced that Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, would triumph over Glenn Youngkin, um, and uh, Youngkin won. And one of the reasons Youngkin won is that parents had been saying over and over to pollsters, to political consultants, to the media, we've had it. We've had it with how uh, the teachers unions and the public school system bureaucrats and the federal government, all of it. We've had it with what they've done to our schools. We've had it with the ideological posturing of critical race theory. We had it in blue states with the extended shutdowns during the during uh, 2020 because of the COVID pandemic. We've just had it. We've had enough. They showed up at school board meetings and argued. And the response of the technocratic elite in the Democratic Party was to call them terrorists or to tell them that CRT doesn't exist when they had in front of them evidence that all of this was happening. So I think that the fact that parents didn't back down, and I include myself in that group, I'm a public school parent here in D.C., 
And it's not just like a lot of these backlashes, not just conservatives who are fueling it. It's not we're not astroturfing with money from some shadowy billionaire. These are just regular parents who want their kids to get a decent education and grow and thrive without being told that they're terrible oppressors because they happen to be born with a certain color to their skin. And that message was not heard by the elite until parents showed up and they repeated it over and over again. And then they voted with their feet and they ousted uh, uh, this attempt by a Democratic governor to come back into power and elected a Republican who said, I'm I'm here. I'm listening to you. I am listening to your concerns. He didn't make a lot of promises, but he but he listened and he took seriously their concerns as parents that revolt. And it's happening not just in Virginia, but around the country continues. And I think we're going to see a, a, a kind of new reemergence of it in January if, if teachers unions and others try to close schools again because of the Omicron variant. But it was very heartening to me, both as a parent and as someone who participated with a lot of other parents who I share no other political views with. We care about our kids and we want what's best for them. And the technocratic elite was not listening to us this past year until we really made noise. I want to end on the schnorr with which I began, because I want to praise us, commentary, and Christine. Uh, two months before the Virginia election, a month before the famous moment in the debate when Terry McAuliffe, the candidate, said parents should have no role in the education of their kids, we published a piece in commentary on the possibility of a parent's revolt by Christine Rosen. Uh, in our September issue, if you read that piece, you were not surprised by what happened in Virginia. You were not surprised that Terry McAuliffe said what he said, and you did not, and you were prepared for the fact that something very big was going on here that um, a lot of people didn't really appreciate or understand. That's the kind of wisdom uh, analysis and foresight you can get if you subscribe to commentary at commentary.org. Uh, we we beg of you to subscribe. It's very important in terms of supporting the podcast that you also read what we do because that is really the heart and soul of what of what commentary is. And if that kind of foresight and analysis is of value to you, please one more last time, one last time, go to commentary.org/donate. You got a couple of hours until you can take the 2021 tax deduction for a donation to our 501c3 nonprofit. We would be very, very glad, very lucky, and very, very grateful to have you as part of our family of donors and to have you included not only as a commentary subscriber, but a commentary giver. It will mean the world to us. I hope you have a wonderful New Year's Eve and a very happy new year. All the best, and we will see you again in 2022. For Abe, Christina, Noah, and John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.